the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the feast day of the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we are adorned in the brilliance of white today. Remembering that event, and we pray, bringing the power of that event into these moments that we're together in this liturgy. I want to begin by reading to you a teaching from our Father in the Faith, Metropolitan Saba, that was just sent to us two days ago, his remarks on the Transfiguration. I'm going to return to this at the end of the sermon with a little bit more. But I want to preface everything the Lord wants to show us today with his words. Our Father in the Faith teaches this. The Feast of the Transfiguration is the Feast of Glory. It is the Feast of Glorification of man's glorification by his return to how he was in paradise before the fall of Adam and Eve. Indeed, it is the return to the perfection of glory that they would have obtained if they had not fallen. This return to glory, for all of us, my friends, it would not be possible but by the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ did everything that he did to loose us from the oppressor and the oppression of the fall. Only then could we ascend the mountain for our own transfiguration, transformation. That which the church calls theosis, the healing of mankind, our great salvation. So you've got to understand that in the revealed truths and theology of the church, the transfiguration and the cross must never be separated. The transfiguration and the cross, the cross, the loosing of the bondage, the overthrowing of the oppressor, the transfiguration, our being brought out of that oppression and up the mountain to be in union and fellowship with God that transforms our lives forever by the revelation of himself to us in those places. That's what we celebrate today. So as we begin, I thought we would look at an Old Testament, very familiar tale, that literally shows us the prefiguring of the cross and the transfiguration all in one journey of God's people out of their slavery. You see, when Moses stood before the great I Am at the burning bush, the word of God came to Moses saying, I have heard my people's cry and I have come to deliver them from their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Every time I say that milk and honey, I remember a 1990s Christian. They heard those words in this little cartoon. And they heard milk and honey and they said, sounds sticky. <laughs> Now let me get back to the scripture. I can't ever get that out of my mind. Thank you to those who created that cartoon. But then God says to Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God upon this mountain. I want you to get two phrases or phrasings in your mind. God said, I will bring you out. And God said, I will bring you up. I will bring you out of your bondage, out of your lowliness, out of your sorrows, and I will bring you up to myself 
to have a place to be with me, to commune with me all of your days and be changed forever. Out and up is what we want to remember this morning about the transfiguration. And let's now remember all that God would do through his chosen deliverer, Moses, to free his people from captivity and bring them up to the mountain to worship him. Moses, God's chosen deliverer, we know the story. He would be sent directly to Pharaoh, the oppressor of God's people. And Pharaoh was extremely hard-hearted and refused to let God's people go. And so God, through the deliverer, waged a mighty offensive against Pharaoh and all of Egypt with the plagues. And I want you to consider each of the plagues as like God striking an axe to the strong tree of oppression. One swing at a time. And then with the final swing, the final axe stroke, the angel of death would be sent. God's people were spared by the blood of the sacrificial lamb upon the post and the lintel of their doors, and death would pass over them. The oppressor then would be overthrown, and soon his whole military strength, his whole army of military power, would be absolutely destroyed and washed away by God in the Red Sea. And so passing through those very waters of the Red Sea, God's people were brought out by the act of God on their behalf were brought out of their slavery, were brought out of the sorrows upon which through which that oppression had brought into their lives. The unimaginable lesser existence that they were never created for. And now they're led up on a journey with God up to the mountain to be with Him. And when they came to the mountain, they saw that God had descended on the top of that Mount Sinai. They saw the flashings of lightning, the burning of fire, the brightness of the glory. The earth shook and the people were afraid. So they sent Moses on their behalf to be the only one to go up and be with God in that flame and fire and in the quaking. And God with his finger writes his law on the side of a mountain and gives it to Moses. And Moses communed with God there for a full 40 days in the glory of God. And so when he came back down from that experience of the mountain, the glory that he had beheld with his face now shone from his face. The glory of God was imprinted on the man. And he came down from the mountain and they told him to douse his face, veil his face, because the people would be afraid of what they would see. <coughs> My friends, I tell you what you just saw in that type that would be fulfilled. You saw the holy cross. And what God did for all of us, releasing us from our oppression and that which through the cross he afforded to us an opportunity for a transfiguration experience, a metamorphosis of ourselves. That's what the word really means. That much of a change of an entire self into something so much higher, something so much better than what we were because of the fall. And he shines the light of his countenance when we visit with him. Meaning, He shows us His face, who He is. We come to know Him. And as we come to know Him by that revelation, we are healed. The metamorphosis does occur in our lives. And we go away forever different than we were when we approached the top of that mountain at the first. You see, again, the transfiguration of the cross, they cannot be separated. 
In fact, liturgically in the liturgical calendar by the wisdom and the revelatory wisdom of God, they are connected. Today on August 6th and on every August 6th, each year we will celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then precisely 40 days later, 40 days always being a time of fulfillment, exactly 40 days later in mid-September, we will celebrate the exaltation of the Holy Cross. These two are always tied because they show us the entirety of God's work of saving our souls. The entirety of it. And the transfiguration is such a remarkable event because in one way the transfiguration points towards the cross that Jesus was about to go to and be glorified. And on the other hand, the, glorific, the, the, the transfiguration circles back around to show us what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. What He made available to us, which is this experience with Christ on the top of the mountain. Just as His disciples had, who we celebrate today. Let's remember, looking at the type, let's remember what Jesus Christ fulfilled on the cross, releasing us from our bondage. For just a quick moment and move on to the transfiguration. What he accomplished upon the cross is exactly what he accomplished for his people bound in slavery and oppression to Pharaoh in Egypt through the plagues in the Red Sea. The hold that Satan, our great oppressor, had was over. It was loosed on our behalf. Christ went to war on the cross and he threw down and he defeated all of the demonic enemy, literally robbing our enemy completely of its power, just as he did with Pharaoh and Egypt's power. And this is what St. Paul means when he speaks in Colossians 2, when he says that Christ on the cross disarmed principalities and powers. He made, and I love this, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them upon the cross. My friends, never forget this. We have been told since the beginning of the church that we are at all times to make the sign of the cross in our lives. Never forget what the fathers teach us. That when we make the sign of the cross, and particularly when we make the sign of the cross in times of temptation and duress from an enemy that's coming against us, that when we make the sign of the cross, they reel away because they're reminded of the crucifixion. The making of the sign of the cross is spiritual warfare. Not only have we been released from oppression, but we can be released by God and His grace from temptations in those very moments. And upon the cross, Christ's blood was shed like the sacrificial lamb in the story I told you in the Exodus. For death to pass over us, for our sins to be covered. That the blood of Christ, the healing of the souls of the nations, could be accomplished. And by that cross, we are Freed from our oppression. Freed to experience the grand transformation that we can have at the transfiguration. So now we come to it. What we celebrate today. By invitation at the transfiguration. In the darkness and the lateness of the evening. Christ invites three disciples to go up with him. He says come up to the mountain. My friends that phrase is all through scripture. In the old covenant come let us go to the mountain. Come up to the mountain and pray with me, he says. In the darkness of the night, what happens to the disciples? They, they, are, they succumb to a state of slumber. 
My friends, I tell you that every one of our souls, when we first come into the kingdom, we are coming out of a great state of slumber, having been lulled to sleep by the fall of mankind that is within us. And I tell you this, that our salvation is constantly being awakened out of that slumber. I tell you honestly, there is still slumber in me from the darkness that is still within that causes me not to see everything clearly as God sees, and not, even not to see Him clearly as He wants me to see Him. And the entire journey of the Christian is illumination that rolls away the darkness. Because when they fell asleep, Christ prayed, and when He prayed, the glory of God descended upon the mountain just like at Mount Sinai. And Christ was totally transfigured. He became something entirely more and better and greater and other than the way they had perceived Him just a few moments before when they ascended the mountain. And everywhere that the brilliance of the glory of God shone, darkness could not exist. It had to roll away. And the same truth is true within our own souls. This is the very experience that our Lord Jesus Christ has made available by the cross for every soul baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, released from captivity to make a move toward God, to, to extend, as He extends His invitation to have the grace to say yes and to move towards Him. And every time we do, He shines His light. He glorifies Himself. He shows Himself for who He really is. And we're the ones that have the darkness rolled away and walk away transformed by the experience. This is why Blessed St. Paul, in our, in our reading in Matins today from 1 Corinthians 3, he speaks of this very thing I speak of with Moses and God at the top of the mountain, but speaks to it as the true Christian experience that saves the soul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we heard these words. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use such great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not, <clears throat> excuse me, could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were darkened. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the same spirit of the Lord. St. Paul is vividly telling us the experience of the Christian unto salvation, which means the experience of the Christian unto becoming, getting out of what was lost, becoming what we never thought imaginable regaining what was our rightful estate by our creation in paradise, the true human person, the true human person. How? By coming into fellowship and union with him, by knowing him from that union, and by being touched by him in a face-to-face -face fellowship, if you will. This is what's granted to us. And by that experience being so transformed that when we come down the mountain, we shine, we look different, we take on the glory that we have beheld, and we represent the glory, the nature of God to absolutely all of creation. And then we go back up the mountain again, and more darkness rolls away, 
and we're polished up more by the hand of the healer. And we shine forth more and more with the glory of God all throughout our lives, all throughout our days. This is the experience of the Christian. And now I return to the teaching of our Father Metropolitan Saba. I read you what I started with, but I'm going to go a little bit further because his words are excellent in expressing the truth of our faith and what's available to us by Jesus Christ. He says the Feast of the Transfiguration is the Feast of Glory. It is the Feast of Glorification, of man's glorification by his return to how he was in paradise before the fall of Adam and Eve. Indeed, it is the return to the perfection of the glory that they would have attained had they never fallen. If man was created just to live and act for some number of years on earth, what is the meaning of life? He was created for divine glory. He was created to put on this glory. Seeking for glory is the deepest and most deeply rooted need in the human heart. It is the need that is constantly attached to nature, to our nature. Man cannot be satisfied with his current condition and accept it. This is why St. Augustine says that we are all restless until we find our rest in God. Because we know something's wrong. Innately, because of we, the fact that we were created in His image, even though separated by, to Him by the fall. <clears throat> that we were intrinsically created in His image, and we know something's not right. Why do you think we seek after everything but God? Because our hearts long for glory. But they seek it in the pig slot. He constantly longs for something better. Humanity is better than his situation, even if he doesn't know it. Within him is a beauty that he covers with ugliness. But he senses this beauty and feels it within him. The transfiguration then is a sample of man's natural state. It's the beauty of humanity restored. The beauty of original, undistorted creation. Many knew this beauty, this glory, and experienced it here on earth. The prophet Moses knew it when his face shined and the Hebrews were not able to look upon him. Many enlightened Christians have known this. Those who in the purity of their life and their struggle were liberated from the corruption of their fallen nature and became temples of the indwelling of God. May Christ our God help us to seek this glory. This is what our Father in the faith teaches us, and it is the faith. To believe anything less, to believe anything less, that we cannot have this transfiguration experience with Christ our God in this life, it shows us something very telling, that we have believed the lie. That we have believed the lie that cheapens and diminishes the very way by which our souls are healed by Christ. May our faith be grown from glory to glory in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.